feel like the salivary almost runs towards me. That's right. As I come up here, another one. Right, now if you guys are very clever, you can read upside down. Um, but open up your things. Open up your... Well, my one's upside down. I don't know you. Um, open up your um, sheets and we will read the next installment of uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. Verses 11 to 17. All right. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honour the emperor. Well, friends, last week uh, we saw how the church is God's big building project. And Jesus is the foundation. He's the living cornerstone upon which you know cracked and crooked stones like you and I can be built into a spiritual house and a holy priesthood. Well, this week our focus is not uh, the church per se, but the church in society. In other words, how should followers of Jesus relate to the world out there, the world at large? Should Christians bless or do battle with the world? Should we embrace society or shun it? And what if the world is hostile towards Christians? How should we respond then? Well, um, last week, those are some verses from last week, uh, you might remember that uh, Christians have been called out of spiritual darkness and into light by the mercy of God. Now, if we've been called from darkness to light, then of course we don't want to return to darkness. Uh, we want to keep our distance. We want to stay in the light. But of course, moving from darkness to light was not by our own cleverness or good deeds, not by our own merit. It was all of God. And so as much as we want to avoid the darkness, we can't look down on those who are still there. Without Christ, we're no different. As the saying goes, but for the grace of God... You know what? But for the grace of God, there go I. We're no different. Now, it seems to me that Christians must resist being pulled in either of two directions, either away from the world or into the world. So first there's the pull away from the world. It's a pull towards isolation. We so want to be a holy nation that we retreat into a holy huddle. Our gaze becomes entirely inward, 
Uh, we shut ourselves off from the outside world. And, you know, it's easily done. And I think, I feel like it gets easier the longer you're a Christian. Year by year, it just gets easier and easier to be that holy huddle. You know, there's always more ministry to do, uh, whether it's upon yourself or in the church. Um, plus, you know, the, the unbelieving world is hostile. Um, it's easier for them to seek us out than for us to go and invite trouble. Before you know it, all our time and energy is directed towards fellow believers. So that's the temptation to move away from the world. But alternatively, there's the pull towards being enmeshed or entangled in the world. And I wonder if that's maybe a danger for um, young adults. You know, you're very conscious of the society around you, perhaps hyper-conscious of society. Uh, Now, I couldn't really get the right picture. I I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with smoking or drinking. I mean, it's probably not the smartest thing to do. But I don't think it's necessarily sinful. I think the worst thing about that picture is just the size of her bling. But you get the idea. She's trying um, really hard to fit in, so hard that she's kind of sold out. Um, Now, Maybe we want to make the the good news so appealing or even so inoffensive to the world around about us that we remove every possible rough edge. Controversies are dodged, outspoken Christians are avoided or even chided. Um, The message of repentance becomes a message of recovery. Uh, God's focus on the new creation is swapped for this creation and so on. Now, there's, there's value in each of those things, but you know, Jesus didn't lay down his life just to make us a likeable version of everyone else. He died to make us holy, to make us different. And Jesus is neither a political activist nor a personal therapist. He is the Lord and Saviour who delivers us from Satan, <coughs> sin and death. And so Christians must resist both pulls, the pull away from society and the pull into society. Uh, To paraphrase Jesus' words from John chapter 17, we are to be in the world, but not of the world. But how do we get this right? Well, let's, uh, let's look at verses 11 and 12. Uh, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Now, Christians are in a battle. We're in a war with a deadly enemy. But who's the enemy? Is it the society around about us? No. It's not the the people, not the society around us. Rather, if you look at the text, it's sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Now, if there is a a person or a power to to take up arms against, then actually it's the devil. So in 1 Peter 5, verse 8, Peter writes, Be alert and and of sober mind, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Or again in uh, John seventeen fifteen, where Jesus says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from 
the evil one. Or Paul, who writes, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So the fight is not against society. The fight is against evil desires and against the evil one. Now, of course, every society is sinful, is awash with sin, full of evil. Uh, And it doesn't matter which society, white, black, male, female, young, old, sophisticated, bogan, (laughs) full of sin, all of them. Uh, And actually, the church, as a society, is no different. At least we face just as many temptations to sin, possibly more than anyone else. Perhaps the best thing that we have going for us is that we should expect to find sin in our midst. At least that way we're not surprised, we're not caught out. Rather, we can honestly and openly talk about our struggles. And by bringing them out into the open, we can start to deal with them. We can uh, truly repent and seek healing. So, there's a spiritual power of evil, the devil, who would lead us astray. Uh, We live in societies that are awash with evil, and our own hearts are evil too. You've probably noticed that you don't automatically become good just by spending time by yourself. So there's no real point running away from society. You can't run away from the evil one. As soon as we start mixing just with other Christians, well, that's a new society that's also tainted by sin. And we carry evil in our own hearts. No, the fight is against evil desires from wherever they come. Now, Peter also refers to Christians as foreigners and exiles. Uh, We may be living in the world, but in some ways we don't, or at least shouldn't fit in. We're not opposed to society, but we're not quite a part of it either. It makes me think of international students. Maybe we've got some here. Um, They're in the same classes, they speak the same language, they do the same exams, all those sorts of things, but they're not Australian. They they retain their own culture, wherever they're from. And so what's the ultimate citizenship of Christians? Is it being Australian, or or perhaps an Israelite, or or even an American? Well, no. Uh, Our true citizenship is in heaven. That's the only king and country to which I owe full allegiance. Uh, That's my true, that's my final home. So if we're not fighting against the world, then maybe we can even say that we're fighting for it. Uh, Let's look at verse 12. Uh, Live such good lives among the pagans, or pagans isn't the best translation, Gentiles, the nations, that kind of thing, uh, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So we fight for the world when we live distinctively, visibly good lives. And good lives can't just mean you know, religious, pious lives. Our lives must look virtuous to unbelieving neighbours. And we can't just help other Christians, even if we've got a, a special duty and a special privilege to love them. Uh, no, our good lives are to be seen 
in everyday situations, in words and deeds expressed in the workplace, in the classroom, in the world. In particular, um, these good deeds can't be conditional to our being appreciated. Um, if that were the case, then we'd quit just as soon as we're treated badly. Rather, by persisting in good, even when we're accused of the opposite, so our good deeds stand out all the more. Now, everyone's good to those who are good to them, said Jesus. But loving your enemies, blessing those who persecute you, that really marks you out as a son or daughter of a merciful God. Now this uh, generous and merciful lifestyle is a powerful pointer to God. Of course, it's, it's great to know the good news and to be skilled at sharing it. I love to help people do that. But if you don't also live it, then that's just a prophecy. And in fact, it will probably do more harm than good. But if you live out the gospel and speak it out too, then those who see our good deeds may well repent of their sin and turn to Christ, thus glorifying God on the day he visits us. But what will it look like, sort of in more detail, to live these good lives? Now, there's plenty more that could be said, but there's not less than Peter's big answer. And his big answer is the word submission. Submission. Verse 13. Submit yourselves, for the Lord's sake, to every human authority. Now, the concept of submission is not some peripheral, occasional teaching of the Bible. Um, it's really the theme of the next chapter or two here in 1 Peter. Uh, Paul teaches it in Romans 13, 1 Corinthians 14, Ephesians 5, Colossians 3, 1 Timothy 2. Uh, it's also in Hebrews 13 and in James chapter 4. So this is the consistent emphasis of God's word, especially in the New Testament. We can't just know it's Old Testament, we can ignore it. We can't ignore it. We, we can't dodge it if we're seeking to follow Christ. Now, as Peter says, we're to submit ourselves to human authority for the Lord's sake. Right? It's not primarily to appease or, or please human authorities, but rather to please and praise God. Now, of course, um, submission still sounds bad, right? It's got, it's got a bad rap. still sounds bad. But when practised, I think even most unbelievers affirm it. Because what's the alternative? Aggression? Complaining? Standing on your rights? Resisting authority? Um, the alternative to submission is really a kind of individ individualistic, anarchical chaos. Th think of the, the university lecturer who's teaching you, you know, some Marxist mumbo-jumbo, right? 
Submission is evil. Stand up for yourselves. Resist the oppressor. Cast off authority. Oh, and by the way, there's an essay due on Thursday. Now, if you've taken on board the lecturer's kind of crazy ideas, then you know what you'll do. You'll say, no way am I going to do that essay. That's oppression. I'm not going to be scaled against somebody else. And you won't hand in the essay. The lecturer will be very upset. But the student who wants to honour their lecturer will submit to their request and hand in the essay. Hopefully, respectfully pointing out the folly of their dogma. It's, it's trendy to dislike submission in theory, but in practice, we cannot do without it. Submission and authority is a good thing. Uh, as Peter says of Jesus in chapter 3, verse 22, uh, Jesus has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities and powers in submission to him. I'm so glad that ultimately all rulers are subject to Christ. Where would we be without that? Now, of course, um, there, are, there are good reasons uh, to you know, feel unsure about submission. Submission can and has been abused. Uh, that's an awful thing. And those who abuse by using submission uh, ought to be condemned. Uh, if they're not found out by human authorities, then God will certainly condemn them. But submission can also be ignored or resisted, and that's, that's no better. That's also ungodly. Now, that's not to say that there's no room for uh, godly protest. You know, we can find examples of that in the Bible. And to explore that idea, we'd, we'd need a bit more time. Um, but friends, submission must be our default. It should be our priority response. After all, do you think when Peter wrote this letter, it was an easy thing for Christians to do back then? Certainly not. Uh, verse 13 continues. Oops. Um, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority, to governors who are sent by him. Now, the emperor in Peter's day was Nero. And among the things that Nero did, um, well, he's famous for uh, deliberately setting fire to Rome. And because of this, he, he blamed the Christians because that was an unpopular thing to do. And, and let's, uh, let's hear from um, Tacitus, a first century Roman historian. <coughs> Right. Nero fastened the guilt, in other words, he blamed, and inflicted the most exquisite torture on a class hated for their abominations called Christians. Now, clearly, Tacitus is no fan of Christians, right? He thinks they're an abomination because they don't worship the Roman gods. Tacitus, oh, sorry, uh, Nero covered with the skins of beasts, the Christians. They, they were torn by dogs and perished or were nailed to crosses or were doomed to the flames and burnt to serve as a nightly illumination. 
Nero offered his gardens for the spectacle. In other words, he's a vicious tyrant. But Peter still wrote this letter. Now, maybe he wrote this letter before these things happened, but who knows? He never never changed his tune. This was no hypothetical doctrine uh, for the early Christians. And yet they submitted to the authorities, even the corrupt ones. In so doing, they silenced the ignorant talk, the malicious rumours of foolish people. Indeed, as Tacitus uh, concluded, the final paragraph, hence even for criminals who deserve the extreme and exemplary punishment, there arose a feeling of compassion. For it was not as it seemed for the public good but to glut one man's cruelty that they were being destroyed. And so the submissive behaviour of Christians turned the hearts of the people away from the cruelty of the emperor and towards the grace of God. Submission is no easy thing, but it is Christ-like and it is for every Christian. For we must all submit to God. And then, as part and proof of that submission, we must submit to every human authority, from the Prime Minister to our parents, from a policewoman to our pastor, from a train guard to a coach, even to a husband. Now, there are lots of important questions to start asking, no doubt. Um, That's good, that's good. Ask away. Mind you, if I were you, I would wait another week or two when Sam Atwood speaks. He's going to speak on slavery and marriage and, you know, submission's going to come up in those. So I reckon save up the question for Sam But feel free to start asking them now anyway. But um, loved ones, may we bless the world by battling evil desires. May we embrace fellow sinners while shunning sin. And may our good deeds, especially the good deed of submission, so mark us out that many would inquire about the source of our goodness and so turn to the Lord before the day of his coming. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are God who has mercifully called us out of darkness into light uh, to be your people to be a holy nation. Uh, Lord, please help us, like you, uh, to so love the world around us that we would uh, give our all for them, not fighting against them, but fighting against evil desires and the evil one, even the evil in our own hearts, that by doing good, uh, we might point people to you. And we pray all this in Jesus' great name.